Hello everybody, Halal and Joy here and welcome to another episode of the Sustainable Jungle Podcast where we talk to inspiring people working to future-proof our planet. Our guest today is Jim Norrid. Jim is a turnaround executive specialist. He served on the board of a number of public and private companies, tech startups, and most recently as the CEO and chairman of a range of sustainability-focused businesses, including Recycle Bank, IPS Batteries, Big Belly Solar, and Segway. We had a thought-provoking discussion on the intersection of sustainability and business with Jim. He shared his thoughts on what the major differences are in leading a triple bottom line business versus a profit-only model, what role consumers, businesses, and governments should play in sustainability, if and when a benefit corp or B Corp type ethos will become mainstream, and what businesses can do to use sustainability as an economic driver, and many other nuggets of wisdom on making good business. We hope you guys enjoy this masterclass with Jim Nord. Jim, how are you today? I'm doing very good today. I'm in Dallas, Texas. It's supposed to be 75 degrees, so uh, no complaints on this side for sure. Uh, okay, that's great. <laughs> a lot better than what we have right here. Yeah, yeah. Calling from Dublin, I think we're about in centigrade single digits, low single digits today. Yeah, well, but you probably won't be there long from, from Joyce that you guys are moving around quite a bit. So that's true. probably warm weather somewhere. Yes. Yeah, Hopefully. Enough. Jim, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to Joy and I. You've had an illustrious career. You've sat on the board as a CEO and chairman of a number of companies, including IPS Batteries, Big Belly Solar, Recycle Bank, and Segway. You've run several technology startups, and you've developed a career as an executive that can really amplify business performance. And a lot of your recent experience has been at the intersection of sustainability and business. But before Joy and I delve into the intricacies of how you've made a success of good business, I just wanted to go back to the beginning. Could you tell us a little bit about your background, where you were born and where you grew up? Uh, yes, uh, born in Detroit, Michigan. Uh, I grew up uh, in Michigan uh, and I, I actually went to undergraduate school and graduate school uh, in Michigan as well. So um so that's home originally. Um, you know, my uh, my uh, father was working in the automotive industry, and in fact, probably one of the reasons I got excited about moving into technology companies was because I had a chance to work in some of the summers uh, between college and the factories. And if you ever had an opportunity to work in an automotive factory, you want to very quickly uh, find a way out. And so, uh, seriously, it's it's a tough a tough environment. So my my I think my father was smarter than I thought because he said you need to work in this factory during the summers, you know, to make money and learn what it's like. And so, again, that was a great motivator to me to to do something other than work in the factories in Detroit. So uh, yeah, I grew up in Michigan. Um, I love love the area. I still have family back there, but I've lived in New England. Uh, for the last 25 years, uh, moved to Boston area. So I've lived both in Massachusetts and uh, currently uh, reside in New Hampshire. And much of your career or a lot of your career has been defined by driving fast business change, uh, turning companies around. Is that something that you consciously pursued in your career? Yeah, that's a great question. I've been asked that question several times uh, throughout my career. 
And uh, no, I, I did not target that. Uh, and I'll explain if I can take just a few minutes, I'll explain why. Uh, it kind of goes back to my background. My first uh, job out of graduate school was IBM. And uh, I did, I went to work for IBM, even though I had other offers, it was the the least paying offer that I had, yet they had um, they had a great training program in which they taught me about computers. As I as I did that, I spent ten years with IBM and then decided the company was way 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 too big for me. Even though um, fortunately I was able to set sales records uh, throughout my career there, uh, but I, my unfair advantage was I had a great customer, which was General Motors. And so uh, GM, uh, as IBM would announce a new computer system, uh, uh, General Motors would say they want, wanted a number of those, 10, 20, whatever they could get. And so I, I think I had a better customer than I was a salesperson, frankly. But, uh, but they were a great customer. I had a large team that worked for me at IBM. Uh, it was IBM was the biggest customer, or General Motors was the biggest customer that IBM had at the time. And uh, so I, you know, that's how my career, very traditional uh, career with IBM. But then I decided it was just too large for me, uh, for my style. And so um, I ended up uh, working for a venture capital firm and moved to New England and uh, started running um, technology companies. Now, this is the beginning of kind of my turnaround experience um, because you know, as you know, venture capitalists, they invest in a lot of companies and only a small percentage of those companies are successful. In fact, I remember one time I had a, a discussion with John Doerr who started Kleiner Perkins and John said, you know, we, we make a lot of mistakes and that's okay, uh, but we do a few successful ones which make up for the mistakes. As an example, Kleiner put money in Google, they put money in Amazon, you know, a few of the great successes make up for a lot of mistakes. And th there are a lot of companies that kind of in the middle area that they didn't go out of business, yet they weren't great successes. And that's the ones that the venture capitalists try to figure out what to, how are they going to handle them. And that's my first job was to work for a venture capital firm to run a small, uh, uh, first job as a CEO, turnaround guy, was to run a small uh, company that the venture capitalist had invested in, and it just wasn't going anywhere. And it was it, it had to do with my technology background, and it was a, a graphics company uh, that sold capability into automotives and aerospace. And so, uh, again, it hadn't done very well, and the venture capitalist said, hey, you want to be a CEO? We'll give you a chance to be a CEO. It's your first CEO job. Uh, by the way, you're probably going to fail because it doesn't have any customers. It doesn't have any cash, but it's got some interesting technology, so see what you can do with it. So, of course, you learn how to do all the things like, well, I better raise some money for it because it has no money. And I better make sure that we find some customers as quickly as we can. And I need a great team to help me. And so it was kind of a natural thing to do. So, um, and that was really the first company I ever I ever ran and 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 running that company as I mentioned um, I didn't know I was a turnaround guy but the company was in trouble uh, I established a relationship with the venture capital company happened to be Bessemer Ventures and and they took a chance on me and I was able to 
go into the company and put a great team in place and figure out how to take the technology and apply it into certain markets and customers. And then we became successful and we sold the company. And that was, again, I hadn't planned on doing that, but I, I basically, you know, got into it accidentally, if you will. Uh, and then once I had the reputation of doing one, uh, other venture capitalists had heard about it. They started calling me and saying, oh, we have a company that we could use your help on. And then, you know, that turned into other businesses and turned into other businesses and it continued. And again, I was very fortunate and very lucky. And I think it takes both time and skill and luck uh, to get involved in several of these type of companies and then turn them around and then provide exits uh, for the uh, for the shareholders, for the investors. So long story short, it took a little luck, took a lot of hard work uh, in the right place at the right time. And what would you say uh, it, it's about that specialization that you sort of found yourself in that you enjoy most? Is it the challenge of turning these around? Is it is it the stress of it, the rush of it? How would you describe? <laughs> You're, those are all great questions. And the answer is yes. Um, the, it's, it's, there's several reasons. And in it. The rush is really, I hadn't thought about it, but the rush is really true. Um, a lot of people have asked me when I'm going to retire. My answer is never. What else could I do where I can work with bright, smart people that are motivated to be successful and have an opportunity to build something and make it successful for the employees, for the investors, and for the customers? It's a great rush. Once you do this and you do it successfully, you just want to do it again and again, so the rush part of it. Um, the other thing that started to really—I didn't know at the beginning, but I learned later on uh, in that because I've done this eight or nine different times—is that you, you start to really see how you could help people, the people in the company that have dedicated their time and their lives and their their efforts, um, because in the end, what people really have is their time. And so it, it's great to see people that have dedicated and, and put a lot of time in these companies, and then you get in and, and position it correctly, support it correctly, and actually get it to work, and to see what, how you help people. Uh, because, and we'll talk about an example of that but when we talk about IPS batteries, but you know the company could have gone out of business very easily, and it had the most talented battery people I've ever seen in my life. And so because we were able to turn that company around, position it for a sale on a very large company that bought it, the engineers in this company went to work for this large company and became very successful. So it's a great rush for the for the for me to be able to see people become successful in their careers because they can help their families. And, and again, it's, it's, to me, it's one of the most rewarding type of jobs that one could ever have. And I, I remember some time ago, a mentor of mine at IBM said, you know, do what you love. Do what you love. He said, it's the best advice I can give you. And then if you do what you love, it's never a job. It's not a job. So I'm excited about getting up early in the morning and going to work with, with my teams and the people. I just can't get enough of it because yeah. you, you really you love doing what you do. And as I said, it's not work. It's not a job. It's just a passion. 
That's certainly some sage advice. We'll be delving into that more uh, a bit further on into the interview. Uh, but before we do so, Joy just had a few questions on business in general. Yeah, Jim, I, I think, you know, as you know, and as we've talked about previous to this interview, we're really interested in the, the intersection between business and sustainability. And it excites me that there's people like you that are that are in the industry, working in business and helping businesses that are that have a sort of sustainability at their core or have a sustainability mission to, to succeed and to to um, to do well, because I think that's what the world needs right now. So my next few questions are going to. Uh, are going to be focused around that idea of sustainable business and, and, and where that's going in the future. And then and then we'll chat a little bit more about the specific examples and case studies that, that you've been working on. So more broadly, um, you've led some mission-driven businesses that distinctly include environmental and social sustainability elements as part of their story. Can you share in your view what makes a business mission-driven or more broadly sustainable? Is it things like internal policies, constitution, a shared vision, a stated company purpose, product and services, what is it that would make a company sustainable, so to speak? The company sustainable or their their market in the sustainability area, Joy, I don't Yeah, so I think might, I, I think yeah. that's where we that's where we're, exactly what we were hoping you'd say. There's there's two angles, isn't there? There's there uh, they have it they offer a product that is a sustainability product or they themselves are trying to be inherently sustainable as a company. Those are the two sort of models we've seen, um, but quite keen to get your view on, on, on what those look like. Yeah. Um, and there are two different situations. They are two different situations. I've, you know, I've seen, I've worked with companies that you, you go in and you immediately see that they care and let's not talk about what their products are or their markets, but they care about sustainability uh, in the company. As an example, you uh, you know recycling is a simple example, very simple example. But but uh, you know where you go in and your office uh, has certain areas that you put certain uh, trash, if you will, where cans may go in one area, bottles in another area. Uh, um, organics in another area and so you, you just see that and and you see the the executives who talk about sustainability for the company and and what they're doing and then there are there are others that you can just see they've invested money in uh in in ways that the building is environmentally good i mean you can of course you you think about some of these companies have build their own facilities, their own buildings, and they do it in a way that they care about the environment just by the design. They'll, they'll use solar capability. They'll, they'll have the ability to um, minimize the amount of, uh, of uh, electricity or gas or whatever they're using. And again, you see, and that starts right at the very top. It starts at the CEO that says, I care about the environment and we're going to do we're going to do what we have to do in order to protect the environment. And it's, a, it's, again, it's a CEO type others, other CEOs would care less. And it's the sad part that they go in and, you know, they, they, it's never mentioned in executive meetings, never mentioned in all hands meetings. So again, there are companies that are very different uh, throughout the U S certainly, and probably the world. 
that people, some people care and other people don't care. Um, and I've seen it, I've seen extremes in, in both. Okay. So that's kind of the thoughts on the companies. Uh, but then there are other companies than the last half a dozen that I've been involved with are companies that, again, the ones that, that I've been fortunate enough to be involved with. And, and because, and in fact, many of these companies are involved with a, an investment fund called Generation Investment uh, Management, which is a company out of London under David Blood and Al Gore. Uh, these companies are investing in companies in the sustainability business. So again, there are companies such as that that I've been fortunate enough to be involved with uh, in the last half a dozen companies that I've run. And so, um, and then you are that is your that is your focus. That is your market. That's you know it, it's products that can help the environment, and we can talk about that later because again, I think that generation and other investment companies have learned that in fact you can focus on environmentally great companies that in fact are good business cases to make money mm, okay for sure. so that's that section that you mentioned earlier and and i think that more and more people which is the good news here are are bringing out businesses that have figured out that intersection yet it's still even even though they figured it out, they still have to execute the business, right? Because you you need to have businesses that can grow and be viable. Otherwise, you're not going to be around. And so, uh, and, and again, I think many of these have figured out that intersection. And that's what's in the last 10 years or so has attracted me that I think we can do something good for the environment, good for the investors, good for the employees. And that's, that's the best news I can give you. And I, again, that'll be my conclusion. So I'm going to give it to you right up front. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> I, I think one of the things that when we've been looking into this industry and, and learning about it is uh, that, you know, when you read the studies, it says that there's a number of benefits of, of being mission driven or caring, having a, a sense of caring at your core as a business. And one of them is that, that employees seem to work harder, have a greater sense of purpose, are sort of more motivated in what they're doing. And especially this is true of millennials. I'm really curious to see, given you've been involved with businesses on both ends of the spectrum, whether you've noticed that that is the case, that that employees in in, in, in mission-driven businesses or businesses that, in, that care uh, have more engaged employees. My goodness, that's true. And, and it's it's fortunate and unfortunate. And the fortunate thing is that the younger people that are coming up in these in these companies care. And and again, that's fortunate. The unfortunate side is the the older established management teams that are out there today just don't make it a priority. And you know, I said the good news is I think the younger people and and, and I think that's because they're they're understanding in an early age that that if we don't protect the environment now, their grandchildren won't. There won't be an environment for them to protect. I don't mean to be that straightforward or ugly about it, but but I think the younger people understand that and they're focused on it. Um, but again, unfortunately, the, the folks my age that are running these companies just many of them don't get it. You know, it's profit driven to them, purely profit driven. And, and yet, again, I've said earlier that 
You could do both. You can absolutely do both. But the young folks today, um, I, I think they're growing up in an environment with where their parents are saying, hey, it does make sense to recycle it. You know, because all this trash we're throwing away is going into landfills. And landfills are, are polluting the environment. And, and, and carbon, uh, carbon dioxide and, and all the issues of the environment, we're, we're hurting it. As an example, the young people today, they don't want cars. I don't want to get into the automotive side. They would rather car share with Uber or Lyft or other companies like that. Or if there's a way for them to get electric transportation, they'd rather do that. But they're having problems saying, listen, we're going to you know, burn up the fuel and pollute the environment with old-fashioned automobile engines. And so – but young people get it. It's just the older generation. And, and the, again, that's – as I said, it's good news and bad news, right? But, but the young, young folks are taking over, <laughs> which is great. And, and that's going to help us. That's the positive news I can give you because they understand and they're committed to, to doing the right thing for the environment on the sustainability side. For sure. I mean, we maybe it's the environment that we're in and that we are very much got our ears pricked at every angle to 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 take note of what's happening from a sustainability and environmental perspective. Um, but it feels to us that there is a groundswell of support for businesses who are doing the right thing or trying to do the right thing, like B Corp corporations or benefit corporations in California. Um, you know, it's probably company dependent, but we're curious to know from your perspective do you think that sustainability and ethical practices are becoming more and more front of mind for business? And and what do you think is driving that? Yes, it is becoming more prevalent for businesses and um, it's becoming a higher priority. And what's driving it, I think, is, again, I come back to the young folks today that, that are growing up caring about the environment. And um, as an example... I'll give you an example. Uh, the uh, at home where I live, I mean, we'll talk about batteries here in a few minutes because that's one of the major polluting items as we're throwing billions and billions of batteries away into landfills. But if if I take just double A or triple A batteries out of something and I put it in the trash, my stepkids will look at me and go, "What are you doing? Why, why are you doing that? You know, isn't that great?" That's that great. And what, what are you doing? Is there, how can we recycle these? Is there, is there a place that we can put these? Because where does this trash go again? And, and, and you, oh yeah, you know, landfills and, you know, and so it, to me, it's wonderful that they're able to get it and, and, and influence old guys like me that say, you know, what are you doing? Why are you throwing those in the trash? That's cool. You know, can't you recycle them? Just, that's what's happening. I think there is a groundswell. I mean, there's a, there's a clear, a thing that's happening driven by not just millennials but the kids of today and i think they're learning it in school i think they're learning it there i think uh, subjects are being taught that they're starting to understand and so it's great i again i, I think our future is really wonderful but we do need to move faster yeah and again i think that uh i think we will move faster though i believe we will it's, it's so motivating to hear stories like that. It's it's really exciting. So that's the, I mean, it makes such a, it's, it's a no-brainer from an environmental perspective. But as you say, and as you've pointed out already, it really does need to make sense from a business perspective. And unless we can get businesses um, and, and 
and people understanding that there's an economic advantage here we're not going to move the needle so the next question is around whether you've observed ethical and sustainable business having a distinct competitive advantage versus any of their peers a competitive advantage with their customers is that is that kind of the question yeah i mean i do think that customers are choosing ethical business over the equivalent old-fashioned business, if you like, because of their sustainability policies? Is it something that's actually driving? I don't think so yet. Not yet, right. I don't think so. I, I understand the question. That's because the companies don't really broadcast their commitment to sustainability well enough. I think, as an example, go to any of the number of websites for the companies that you know of, both named and unnamed companies, what do you see about sustainability on their websites? Not much. Mm. You don't really, they don't promote it. And maybe they should promote it better. Because again, you're, you're finding customers through your website, through social media. I mean, the old, you know, the old fashioned way of having salespeople knock on doors is, is the old school that I used to do. But now it's it's sort of it's different. It's social media's and LinkedIn's and Facebooks and and again your website and, and uh, mailings etc. Uh, emails etc. But but I don't I can't think of a I know they're out there but I can't think of a, a company that promotes it. And now I th- I think it's going to change. And as an example, without going into this, there was a company I spoke to yesterday. Um, a very, very large beverage company that I can't name, but it's one of the largest beverage companies in the world. And they are calling or having discussions with Recycle Bank, a company that I'm the chairman of, and asking, how can we work with you to educate our customers in the cities and municipalities on the correct way to recycle and the reasons why they should recycle? In other words, how can you teach our customers and how can you promote recycling? And and so they called us yesterday and I go, that's unbelievable. Now, now they it's interesting because Recycle Bank is what that's what they do. So you 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 see the name and you know that that's what they do. So the large, you know, some these large companies that are that are uh, selling their products in bottles, etc. You you know where these plastic bottles are ending up. You know it. it's they're 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 in the waters and the oceans and they're I mean they're becoming islands basically with the amount of stuff that's being thrown in the ocean. But these companies are starting to care dramatically about this and they're looking for solutions. And and so you know and I think that if you look at their websites in the future. And I don't know, I haven't looked at the certain company's website, but they'll probably make a big deal of it right when you go to their website. Exactly. I mean, I've got an example of recently, I wanted to buy a new pair of running shoes. And, you know, I'm I'm particularly invested in this, in this as a, a future um, initiative for myself that I'm only going to buy from ethical companies that, you know, do the right things by their, by their employees and their suppliers and so on. And it was... It was really hard to find a, a shoe company yeah. that has 
the right messages in place so that I could quickly and easily understand as a consumer. Um, there's one company in the US and I, I just, there's nothing that I could do to buy them in the UK. It was just the hardest thing ever to try and buy them. And I ended up settling on Brooks only because they had a page on their website that talked about sustainability. And I just thought, well, at least they're thinking about it, you know, but it was so hard. I mean, why why is it so difficult to find? For me, it feels like a, an, an unmet need of the consumer base where there's an opportunity there and a competitive, potential competitive advantage. That's a perfect example. And, and I said, I think that's going to change uh, as companies realize that we as consumers care. We care a lot. And so we're, we're just like you, I will go on and, and go to these websites and say, Does this, can I see that this company cares? Or is it they just want my money? Because, you know, and, and, and so it's going, it's changing. Now, not as fast as we'd like to see it change, but yes, it's changing. I think, and I, I think it's, it's happening, but it not as fast as it should, certainly. Yeah. So consumers have a role, it seems, um, in, in demanding these things and communicating that they want them. But also it feels that business could take a lead there by actually communicating their competitive advantage and at least be seen to be getting ahead on some of these things so that it be it sort of ups the standard and the bar across the board. Do you think that could be a, that could be a way that it works ends up working out? Yeah, I do. I do. I, I think it, it, it will. And again, it's, it's an exciting time to see this transition, folks. It, and I, again, I believe, as, as I said earlier, the, the young people that come up into the executive ranks care so much more than folks like myself that, that grew up without it even being discussed. And so now I think, like project, as I said, projects that you're working on, I think people are going to realize that this intersection matters. And, and I really... I, I, I don't want to play on that word that you gave me earlier, but the sustainability and the business intersection matters. Uh, I just have a quick extension of that um, Joy's question. So we understand the role that consumers will play in driving the sustainability in the future. And obviously there's a groundswell that's happening. And obviously businesses will respond to that and also hopefully take a lead. What do you suppose the role of government should be in this industry, Jim, is this something they should be legislating to drive change or accelerate change? How, how much of a role do you think they should play? Well, I'm, I, I'm sort of the opposite of the government involvement in this. I think that if you, my feeling is always that it has to be driven by by private enterprise. In government, as as an example, the U.S. the federal government. <clears throat> Excuse me. When when our president came in and pulled out of the uh, Paris Accord, uh, I I was really angry about that. And and I and I, but you know what I saw? I saw a bunch of companies respond, private companies that said, "Okay, you do what you want, government. We don't care. We're gonna we're gonna do what we think is right. And so we're we're going to do what we believe is the right thing for the environment, sustainability." And so we're going to double our efforts because if the government's not going to help us, we're going to do it on our own. And, and I think that that's what I've seen, that the private companies now are stepping up and saying, we can't wait for the government to, to do this. We need to do it ourselves. And again, I think that's that's one of the so I'm not I'm not big on, on government involvement in this. I, I just think the private enterprise has to lead the way. And I think they will. 
and it feels like there's a ton of opportunity for them. It's it's very exciting. Yeah. 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 And they certainly move a whole lot faster than government, even if government are doing the right thing. Jim, I just want to switch gears now. So we've just been talking about this in general, sustainability and where business meet at that intersection. But in your experience, and we've already alluded to a few of the sustainable businesses that you've been involved in, Big Belly Solar, Recycle Bank Segway, and IPS Batteries. But for the listeners out there, I wonder if you could just give us a little bit more of a description of each of these businesses. Sure. Okay. Happy to. Let's let's start with oldest to the newest. Uh, I was asked to uh, take over Segway many years ago. It's a it was a private private company uh, in New Hampshire, by the way, which was the only company I've ever run in New Hampshire where I live. So that was one of the great benefits. But but uh, everywhere else is around the around the United States or the world. But Segway was uh, was really ahead of its time. Uh, as an example, the the motto that we developed for Segway, and I did not start the company. As I mentioned, I was brought in by the investors to turn the company around and and really position it for a successful exit. Segway, it, the, the motto that we had was clean and green. Now you go, what, what does that mean, clean and green? Well, for the last mile transportation, you know, it, it, by the way, Segway doesn't impact airplanes and trains and automobiles, it's, that's not its focus. But for the last mile or two, um, rather than say I'm gonna you know, jump on a, in a, in a, an Uber or taxi or I'm gonna drive that last mile, um, this gives the consumers the ability to have a, a, an alternative that's clean and green because it's, it's battery driven, uh, it goes 12 miles an hour, it does not pollute, um, it gets you to your destination quickly and again, it's it's a it's a and it's a fun, it's a fun device to, to ride on. But it was about personal transportation, clean and green. And so the thing that I liked about it is that it did have a positive impact on the environment. Uh, it was probably one of the first electric transportation devices out there in the industry. One of the first. So it was ahead of its time. As an example, the the CTO at, uh, at Segway, and I'll give a shout out to him. His name is Doug Field. Uh, Doug, uh, after he left Segway, uh, went to work for Apple, but then uh, then he followed uh, Elon Musk and went to, to Tesla. And so at Tesla, he is one of uh, Elon's key executives working on many of their electric transportation products. And he's absolutely, in my opinion, one of the best uh, people in electric transportation in the world. And he, he learned and started, by the way, he grew up at Ford in Detroit, traditional engineering type job. But then he started, he worked as one of the founders of Segway, learned a great deal about all the, the pluses and minuses and the do's and don'ts of electric transportation with Segway. And now he's at Tesla doing some unbelievable things there, as you know. And so uh, Tesla is a wonderful company that is, you know, leading the way there. But it's because of people. It's because of a guy like you know, Doug Field, who had experience at Segway on electric transportation. Yes, it had two wheels, but by the way, Segway also had experimented with four-wheel devices, four-wheel devices and other two-wheel devices and other one-wheel devices that are balancing machines. So this was all under Doug's, uh, Doug's um, uh, regime, Doug, what, Doug, what Doug did there. But 
but it was very early in its time, and it was it was a fun company. The people were committed to to green, clean transportation for the last mile, and, and that's and that's what now. Of course, it branched into other areas, fun areas like tours. Now, would you rather take a tour in a bus that's sitting there blowing diesel smoke <laughs> out back that you can't see anything when you're on the bus? Or would you, would you rather take a tour on a Segway where you can get close to what you're wanting to look at? It's, it's with your family. You're there. Um, it's a very green, uh, easy, uh, fun experience. And, and believe me, the tour business just exploded for Segway. Every major city in the United States and even across the world, some of the first tours were done in Paris, as an example, by the Eiffel Tower. And so, so these tours have just exploded because it's a great way for people to see uh, the world in, in a clean and green and a fun way. It's funny you mentioned that, Jim. I just uh, interject. Joy and I were in Paris so a few months ago, and I remember seeing a, a Segway tour there yeah, under the Eiffel Tower. Cool. <laughs> it's it's such an innovative idea. It's it's really inspirational. Can you do it both? You have a, you have a product that's that's green. It doesn't pollute, uh, and a and a product that the, the owners can make money with. So there's nothing wrong with that, as I said earlier. So Segway has been a, a it was a great that by that was one of the the first companies that I got involved with and it you know it was a, a, a great company that taught a lot of people about how to do electric transportation and and now you, you you see that every automotive company that I know of is has or is developing an electric autonomous vehicle where did it start you know it, it started with some really creative people and I think Segway was one of the early companies that started this Yes, it was on two wheels, but it had also prototyped, as I said, devices with four wheels, single wheels, and again, it was it was doing a lot of stuff that that folks like Doug Field and others took into the automotive industry. And um, the other companies that you've been involved in, Jim, Big Belly Solar, Recycle Bank, and IPS Batteries. Just a little description of each, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, there, let me let me go to IPS Batteries first. IPS Batteries, a private company in 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 Colorado. Had, had some of the best battery engineers, as I mentioned earlier, uh, in the company developing a solid-state thin-film battery. Now, solid-state thin-film battery, what, what are the batteries that we use today in our devices? They're, you know, C's, D's, double A's, triple A's. Uh, or in the smartphone that you're sitting on your desk today, those are, those are lithium batteries uh, that are in the smartphones. Every adult <laughs> living at least in the U.S., and child has got one or two devices that has lithium batteries in it, right? Now, those lithium batteries have a life. As you know, after several years, the life of that battery starts to degrade, and you have to replace that battery or buy a new smartphone, as you know, as we all know. That is a problem. In fact, the probably the most major complaint that people have today with their smartphones is the battery. You know, I, I have to plug it in twice a day or three times a day. I can't get it to last. Uh, and that's just the usage side. And again, over time, it degrades just because that's the way the chemistry works with lithium-ion batteries. It degrades over time. So this company, IPS, came up with a new technology on solid-state thin-fill batteries that gave uh, users the ability to have thin 
uh, high-density, thin batteries that could last a very long time with really good energy density, and it's going to change the environment. It's going to change how people use these batteries, and there, is, there are studies out now, market studies, that talk about the solid-state, thin-film battery market. There are several people that got into that, uh, but IPS was one of the first ones, and we were able to attract uh, one of the largest smartphone companies in the world that looked at it and said, we think that's the future of sensors or IOTs, you know, Internet of Things, because Internet of Things all need some kind of a battery to make it work. And so this battery's thin and small, and by the way, can be recharged by the sun. And so let's think about this. And so now you have a battery that can be continuously used because an Internet of Things, which people say is an exploding market, now, you know, are you, what are you, how are you going to run with those? Are you going to have the, the, the batteries that we know today that have to be replaced twice a year? What happens to those batteries? We all know. They get thrown away. They go in the landfill. They pollute. It's bad for the environment. So this is game-changing technology that companies like IPS Battery uh, has invented. And so uh, the technology came out of Oak Ridge, Tennessee, uh, by some developers, but then it's now that technology's moved into several companies. But it will change the world. And so IPS is one of the earlier companies to do it. Uh, and as I said, one of the large smartphone manufacturers decided they wanted to, to have that technology for future development. And so it was sold to another company. But great, great technology. Change, and that, again, shows you can do something special for the environment, do something special for the customer, do something special for the investors, and it is the intersection. So that's IPS. Big Belly Solar, uh, I was on the board of Big Belly uh, and involved in that company as the, as the president for a little while. Uh, Big Belly is, a, if you've seen their products around the, the world, they're involved in North America and Europe and other countries. It, what it does is it's a, a, a intelligent compactor that runs off solar energy, so it doesn't plug into the grid. It's got a solar uh, cell on the top of it. And what it does when you put trash in, and it does allow you to separate the trash in the different areas, but it compacts the trash. It reaches a certain point, and the compactor comes down and compacts it into a smaller format. And now, why do you care about that? Because if you don't compact it, then the trash starts to run over the traditional bins, and goes around and, and the environment, it's flowing around and people have to pick it up. But the, the bigger problem, not just the visual issue of that, is that you have to have trash uh, garbage trucks pick the trash up. Now, would you rather have the garbage truck come when the trash is filled at a certain point, and by the way, sends a signal off to the trash company saying, I'm full, time to pick me up. So put me on schedule to pick up my trash. Or would you rather have the trucks just drive around and pollute the environment and stop and look at these trash uh, bins that are maybe have anything in them? That is brilliant. That's such a brilliant idea. In terms of efficiency, you're saving a whole lot of money. And in terms of the environment, I mean, who knows how to quantify the benefit of that, but that's massive. It seems, Jim, that that's, that's an, going to be sort of a fundamental input for the smart cities idea is that right yeah in fact smart city ideas is very all over this because these these devices these these um these automatic devices that i talked about uh, for big belly they're they're high, they're just intelligent devices right they, they they're powered by the sun they compact the trash they send the signal out to the to the companies to pick them up when they're full 
And by the way, they, they've done some really creative, cool things by doing, how about Wi-Fi connected to that device? And how about, you know, being able to use the communications on these devices as Internet of Things type, type of an approach? So they've been really creative company. They're a great company, and uh, they're still a privately held company. And, and doing very well. So very proud of the team. Super cool. So let's go to, to, to Recycle Bank. Uh, Recycle Bank, I'm the, the current chairman of the company. It's an, a company that's been around for a dozen years or so. Um, I got involved about two years ago as chairman. And the, 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 again, the investors, which I mentioned Generation Investment Management earlier, which, by the way, was an investor in IPS Batteries, and they're an investor in Recycle Bank uh, with other investors as well. Recycle Bank has really figured out a model to work in a private-public partnership, a public partnership being the municipalities, all right, and working with major cities in order to educate the consumer and motivate, rather incent, the consumer to recycle. And so this is where I say things are changing now. Because what Recycle Bank has done relationships with these cities and said, uh, okay, in order to incent you to correctly recycle, we're going to give you points if you do it. And by the way, you collect these points, and then you can use these points to buy things with some of your local merchants in your city. All right? So this gets back to incentives to incent people in order to do the right thing with recycling and care, and, 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 and be careful on how you do it. And so Recycle Bank has an educational system that they're able to educate the customers and reach out, and then they start to understand the, the various practices of these customers and how they do, because maybe some of the elderly people don't care, but the young people do, then they'll actually start to have collect data yeah. on, on who's doing what, which is the, the data side of this thing is phenomenal for the cities. Uh, and that way they can market to those those people in a way that they need to market to them. And, and again, these points that you can collect for your local, buy things at your local merchants is a very cool idea. So it's finding ways to incent people. Now, where they get paid, they'll get paid not by the consumer, but they'll get paid by the cities. All right. I won't mention the cities that they've signed up, but there have been several large municipalities and that's how they get paid from those municipalities. I can imagine the data the data idea I just love because not only can you use it to 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 better understand your community but you can also use it to understand what incentivizes different groups. So if there is an older generation that is struggling to get the message on this on these topics, you know, what is it for that segment that does get involved within that age group say? What is it about that the people who are doing the right thing that we could learn about and then uh, you know maybe become a little bit more targeted with the marketing or a little bit more targeted to to actually have meaningful behavioral change? It's really a cool idea. Cool idea, and they're doing very well. They're out of New York City, and uh, again, it's exciting. And they're starting to now work with private enterprise, large companies that also want to do the right thing with the environment to. Again, help us teach our people and help us teach our customers uh, the, the value of recycling and why it's important and getting that message out. And Recycle Bank is, I think, the best company in the world to do that. So That's an excellent example of a business that is taking charge and 
educating consumers who may not necessarily have this sort of thing front of mind. Right. And that's what we're trying to do is get it to the front of their mind, always thinking about it, always focused on it. And so that's what they do. That's excellent. Jim, I wanted to ask you, now I know you said that Generation as an investment fund look to invest in these types of companies. Uh, But more broadly, what are your thoughts on other investment funds' appetites for investing in green companies? Are investors sort of looking to that or is it is it just about the bottom line or is there a sort of vision in the triple bottom line when they think about their investments more more broadly yeah a great question there are other investment funds uh, venture capital funds and investment funds that have uh, dedicated sustainability groups or people and I but I can't really comment on those because I don't know the current status of those funds, what they're doing. Um, I, the only one I'm closely familiar with is Generation Investment Management, which is how, th- that's how they lead. They continue, if you look at their investments, which I won't talk about other than the ones I've spoken about, they, this is what they do. And, uh, and is again, driven by the two managing directors, Al Gore and David Blood, this is their business. And they have shown and proven time after time that you can, in fact, find that intersection about how you can invest to make money and invest to, to promote and incent sustainability decisions uh, and, and products and markets. And they've proven that time and time. And so I'm very proud of what they've done. And, and I think other investment funds will, will start to appreciate and get involved. Again, I can't comment about the other investment folks because I'm not really working closely with them now. But I know Generation is taking the lead on this. Just to follow on from that, do you think sustainability will become mainstream and included as a consideration for all business decisions? Or in other words, do you think the for example, the Benefit Corp or a B Corp ethos will eventually be applied to all businesses? I don't know. In the short term, no. Uh, Long term, certainly, maybe. I think the B Corp idea is, is catching on very strong. And, and I, again, I think it's it, the momentum is there, but I, in my lifetime, it won't. I don't think it'll take over. But I think that it's certainly the momentum is in the direction that we want it to be in, for sure. Uh, Jim, I, I want to try and now tap into your. A huge amount of skill that you've that you've developed over the years in, in turning businesses around uh, and see if we can pull out some nuggets of really great tips and tricks for businesses that are trying to do the right thing and trying to be green business but also to make money so appreciating that this might be sort of more on the co- corporate social responsibility side but for, for businesses that don't necessarily have a product or service that is sustainable per se what are the things that they can do to achieve a more sustainable model and how can they use that to their financial advantage? Uh, let me try to understand the question a little bit better. Sure. Are you talking about their products that they sell to or are you talking about internally their commitment to sustainability? I mean, are you talking about externally or internally is your question? It can it can be both. I mean, I think the the core of the question is more around what can businesses do to to make the most of this 
this trend, if you like, or like what what is it that you can that you can do to as as a young say a young business that is aspiring to to do better in the world, but also make money. Are there any sort of go to tips and tricks that you would that you would suggest that they they focus on and and bring into their core? Well, okay, there there are a couple I I, I would mention, and I again I think it starts with the the executive team and the board of directors that they in fact are committed to sustainability and that the management team is committed and they, they not just preach the gospel, they live the gospel. And so in other words, you lead by showing and doing rather than just telling. And so I think the management teams uh, have to get behind it. As an example, when I when I'm involved with companies, I make sure the team that I bring in gets it, understands what we're trying to do, what the mission is, and I think sustainability. That's why we keep saying it's there's both an external and an internal, and I think there are things that CEOs need to do internally in the companies to show that they do care about the environment and the you know the all the things about as I said about you know recycle. I was in a I was in a building in New York City about a month ago, I'm excuse me, San Francisco, not even close, 3,000 miles away. It was a building in San Francisco uh, uh, several months ago that I had some trash and I wanted to throw it away. And guess what? I couldn't find a trash can. You say, what are you going to do with the trash? Well, there was no trash can anywhere in the anywhere in this large building in this on this floor. I won't mention the company. And you sit there and go, well, that's ridiculous. You've got trash. You got throw. Well, guess what? Don't have trash. Don't have it. All right. Stop throw. Stop writing stuff on paper and throwing paper away. Right. You know. Stop making trash. Think about that. That's I first. The first thing I got upset was I need to throw this paper away. And you looked around and there was no way to do it. You know what I did? I put it in my pocket and I took it outside with me. But but the point is, we don't want any trash. We want to be a company that doesn't have trash. And you say, well, that's pretty extreme. Yes. But is it teaching you something? Yes. And so this is what certain people do, certain companies do. And I think it's internally that you, in fact, show that or, or, or live that. So It's a very much a zero-waste uh, initiative, isn't it? To... It's a zero-waste initiative. There's no place to put it. So, so those are kind of tips, but but the on on the external side, again, um, it, it you know I don't start companies from scratch. I'm not smart enough to come up with product ideas to say, okay, we're going to develop the next widget to do whatever. Um, I fix the companies that have tried to do that and haven't done it successfully. So it's fortunate that I can you know kind of pick and choose the ones that I get involved with either as a CEO, which I've I've done several times or as a board member. But again, my whole f feeling is that externally, as I said, it kind of, I don't want to get the final thoughts here, but you, you can, you can do products that, that is good for the environment and good for the employees and good for the investors. You really need that intersection to work. And if, if I don't have the right people in the company, I will go get the right people. They are out there. You just have to work hard to find them. And so, you know, that's what I've done several times is get people that do care. And I think it's about recruiting the best team that you can recruit to, to help get this done. 
on that point, uh, if you have got a business that has a sustainable service or product and they're struggling financially, and so one of some of the advice you've already indicated is obviously ha- surrounding yourself with a good team. But is there anything else that they can try and do in your experience to leverage the fact that they are a business that has a sustainability edge to turn things around? Yeah, communicate it. Um, th- there are there are it's called public relations, right? I mean, communicate your message. Uh, you wouldn't. You would. You would be surprised at the companies that they're sitting there with a bunch of engineers that are really good and really smart and come up with these great products and they think, if we will build it, they will come. All right, I don't believe that. Yeah. I think if you build it, you need to communicate that you have built it. And so this is part of the problem about, do you have the right marketing plan, the right public relations plan? You know, how are you doing this? The, the day about building it and they will come is gone. So you need to get out and promote the message. So how are you doing it? Do you have a firm that's helping you do it? Do you have your people internally that get it, know how to do it? Uh, I kind of do both. It depends on the situation. But in some of my companies, you you hire the right firm to help you do that. Uh, And in other cases, you do it internally. Joy, it's like you said, you made a decision to buy a pair of running shoes or hiking shoes based on the fact that you found a company that – believe in sustainability yeah. and have on their website. Why did they do that? How much business did they get because of that? I would argue that maybe not a lot initially, but as this grows, they're going to get more and more volume the people that care. And so what's your website? What's the message on your website? How do you promote it? Are you on social networking? Are you having you know, people talking? I didn't grow up with social networking, but now this is the world we're in. So how do you take advantage of that from a from a from a marketing communication standpoint? That's the biggest trick I can give you right there. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Mm. If you're going to do it, why not tell people about it and yeah. why not shout it from the rooftops because it's it's clearly, yeah. And exactly. in fact, I think even further than that, if you've got a product that's sustainable and is some way in some way future proofing the world you, you're obligated basically to to share that with the world and why wouldn't you yeah. but i mean maybe you're right some businesses sit there and they don't even realize they've got this gold in front of them and just uh getting it across to the millennials and other generations yeah. what's the downside of promoting this? absolutely I, I can't think of the downside exactly exactly and <laughs> yeah. but also what are the flow-on effects you know effects if they if they end up doing really well or you know, really converting a customer base because of that message, what will the flow on effect be? I mean, that's something that's immeasurable and, and has unlimited potential. So Jim, I'm conscious that we are already over an hour, so I don't, I'm, I'm conscious of your time. To wrap it up, perhaps we, we just ask you if you have any final messages to help inspire our listeners as they focus on building not only profitable, financially stable, but also sustainable businesses. Yeah, my, my again, the final thought is probably my beginning thought in that there is a great intersection going on here. And, and this intersection, as I said, it, it really doesn't just two, it's really three pieces to it. And that is that people that care, the environment's begging for us to care, and the investors care, right? Because they're not just putting money into a sandbox. Investors put money in companies so they can get a return. Yes, you can do all three. You can get a team that cares about about this. You can get investors that certainly care about it. 
and certainly you can get the customers that care about it. You can bring all these together and, and you can find that intersection. Believe me, it's not that difficult to find it. And, and so, as I said, it, there was one time years and years and years ago that said, well, you just can't make money. You know, if, if you're just talking sustainability, that's you know, a certain niche group of people that care. Well, guess what? The niche group of people has had a groundswell of people that are involved. as example, you two are exa great examples of this. And there's more and more people like you that care and they're, they're shouting very loud that we can do this. It's just there. We've proven that you can do it. So that's my, that's my final bit of advice that it can be done and it has to be done. Great advice. Wow. I love it. Thank you so much. That certainly warms uh, my heart and Joy's heart, I'm sure. <laughs> and uh, all the listeners out there, I think we'll appreciate that. Yeah, no. And, and first, just before we, we say thanks, um, Jim, if anybody wants to reach out to you for any reason, where can they find you? Uh, uh, Jim at NORAD.net is my email address, personal email address. It's Jim, J-I-M at NORAD, N-O-R-R-O-D, N as in Nancy. So Jim at NORAD.net. Perfect. And just send me any message anytime and I'll respond as quickly as I can. I'm very thank you too for everything you're doing. This is I'm so pleased to to meet you folks and know what what you folks are doing and the, we can't thank you enough. Thank you, Jim. Thanks, really Jim. appreciate it and all the best uh, in two thousand and eighteen and beyond. We'll be following your movements and looking forward to the the next set of businesses that you turn. Please stay in touch. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thanks a lot, Jim. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode with Jim Norrard. We certainly learned a lot and hope you did too. If you want to look back on the discussion, check out our show notes at sustainablejungle.com forward slash podcast. We're four episodes in, so please let us know how you're finding the show. It would be super helpful. Thanks again and see you next time.